Welcome to the Cybersecurity Matters podcast, a series of interviews with key leaders throughout the industry, all brought to you by the cybersecurity team at NUCO, a specialist global recruitment and executive search firm. Welcome to the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. Your hosts today are two members of the cybersecurity team here at NUCO. Me, Daisy Steele, and Harry Baldwin, and we're delighted to be joined today by David Stapleton. Hi there. I'm happy to be here. Um, we met David at the RSA conference, which was a delight. Um, as a CISO for Cyber GRX, with over 20 years experience in business, administration, cybersecurity, privacy, and risk management, David obtains a unique expertise, previously working for government administrations such as the FDA and the Indian Health Service, to more recently advising third-party risk for public and commercial businesses, most recently for CyberGRX. David has a passion for enabling businesses and people through thoughtful, balanced and effective leadership. So without further ado, let's dive in. Welcome to the show, David. To get started, we'd love to ask same, this people the same thing. How did you get into the cybersecurity industry? Oh boy. So uh, quite by accident, actually. It certainly wasn't, <laughs> wasn't by design. My career aspirations um, as a youngster ranged from fighter pilot, maybe a, a fairly natural one for young boys who grew up in the 80s, um, to nature photographer, um, to marketing executive, finance, and then, and then finally uh, into cyber. I actually went to school for marketing and modified that uh, to just a more broad business administration a degree because I felt I had this interest in order um, and organization. I like things to fit in a certain way, I think in spreadsheets. So it just seemed like mm -hmm. a natural thing to do. Uh, also seems safe as uh, get into this industry and you'll, 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 you'll do just fine. What I found unfortunately was that creativity that I was thinking about when you know, I thought, well, I'm gonna be a photographer or I'm gonna be in marketing didn't necessarily exist in the finance world uh, in the way that I had hoped. And so after spending a good number of years at an accounting firm in the Washington DC metro area, a, a friend of mine, a really good friend, had an opportunity for an entry-level cybersecurity role as an analyst working for the government. And at that point, I was somewhat disillusioned uh, as far as where my career was headed and thought, well, I might as well try something new. Maybe this cybersecurity thing, it seems kind of interesting in the movies. Um, so I'll give it a shot and really committed myself to giving it maybe 12 full months of just every bit of energy and, and minute of attention that I could and found that I loved it. <clears throat> there are some truths and some hard facts within cybersecurity, but there is a lot of space for creativity. It's a constantly changing and evolving field. And I think that ability to act um, on instinct, uh, leveraging past experience, and be able to create new solutions for kind of emerging threats and different problems is fascinating to me. And so it's held my interest ever since. I'm so happy I got the opportunity, but it most certainly was not something that I was thinking about as a, as a late teen, early 20s, someone you know just coming out of school. It definitely happened by, uh, by accident. 
Yeah, I think I think we found that every person we've had on here has, has kind of fell into the industry industry by accident. Um, we've also had quite a few people say they dreamed of being a, a military pilot when they were younger. So you're definitely not <laughs> definitely not alone on that. And probably inspired by the Top Gun films, I'd imagine. I think so. It had to have been that. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, brilliant. So looking at a couple of things in your past, right? But a couple of questions here. I'm sure the listeners would love to learn about. Um, what or who has been the biggest influence on your career thus far? Oh man. Uh gosh, I could I could spend a couple of hours just going through a list of things that have been influential. I'll I'll pick uh, two that come to mind. I, I can't I can't narrow it down to just one. So I mentioned just a moment ago that a good friend of mine gave me this opportunity to get into cybersecurity. And um, a guy by the name of Rob, he saw something in me, um, in my kind of character, in my personality, and the way I like to conduct myself professionally, that gave him some confidence that I might do well um, in this in this field. And he was also willing to bring in someone who was truly entry level. And that's not too common um, in our in our space. And hopefully we'll get a chance to maybe explore that a little bit later in the podcast. Um, but I, I felt like it was, it really boosted my own um, confidence that this person who I looked up to was going to give me this shot. And so just getting that foot in the door oftentimes in the cybersecurity space is the hardest thing to do. And once you sort of have that um, experience and a little bit of the smell of cybersecurity on you. <laughs> People are more willing to give you opportunity, but that first step is is often the hardest. And so I think, you know, I can't uh, I can't really talk at all about my career without without mentioning Rob. And then the other one, and and maybe this is going to sound a little cheesy, but I'm just going to say it anyway. And people can judge me later if they'd like. But the other is my wife. Um, she has been such a constant uh, source of support. I think so often in different kind of careers, especially maybe in the technical spaces, you feel a bit of uh, siloing. You know, when I meet up with a group of friends, oftentimes they don't have a clue what it is that I'm actually doing um, in my role. The people around me aren't necessarily uh, in the same kind of space. And to have someone who's willing to um, be so supportive um, and also brilliant, um, you know, we we do this thing, we have a tradition where we take these daily walks in the mornings and the afternoons as much as we can. And we, we kind of walk and talk and we talk, talk shop. Um, she tells me about her career and things that are going on in, in her professional life. I talk about mine and, and she's become just an excellent sounding board, someone that I can say anything um, and be kind of full disclosure, totally open to. And she's always, uh, I can kind of count, count on her to always give me the straight truth. Um, in response, she's not going to sugarcoat anything. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. maybe I wish she would, um, but she never yeah. does. And it's just, I think there's something, it's a, a very much like a soft um, uh, kind of a skill and um, capability to have someone that you can really count on for that um, yeah. and gives you an opportunity to sort of clear your mind, get good feedback, and then go into the next situation that may be a bit of a challenge um, with some additional mm -hmm. confidence. So yeah, I think you know, getting that foot in the door was obviously the beginning of it all and was huge. And then just the ability to continue to iterate on ideas, test some bad ideas, <laughs> come up with some good ones um, has just been absolutely fantastic for me. And, you know, by far the two biggest influences on my career. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. I mean, the security industry can seem pretty daunting, right? When you kind of first come into it, it's a lot of 
um you know abbreviations and buzzwords and you know it's, <laughs> it's a pretty heavy can be a pretty heavy topic so definitely it's great to have that great to have that kind of good introduction to that um sure. another question kind of looking at the past is or maybe closer to the present, I don't know. Um, what achievement are you most proud of um, in your career thus far? Goodness, this is an awkward one to answer, right? Um, it's, uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> gonna try to do it without uh, sounding like I'm flattering myself. Um, I think I kind of alluded to this a second ago. Maybe the, the, the biggest achievement that I kind of feel personally um, proud of has been the various um, moments throughout my career, particularly in the cybersecurity space, where I have been faced with really significant imposter syndrome, um, that feeling that, man, I don't know if I'm good enough for this, or perhaps I'm here just due to sheer luck, or, you know, people tend to get along with me, and so that's why I'm here, but not because I have actually any skills or, or capabilities. That feeling can come on um, at a moment's notice, sometimes when you least expect it. And I think particularly within cybersecurity, because there's a mixture of people who are obviously new to the field, but also some who have been around for quite some time, really because it's such a new field, you know, it's not un unusual to go to like a conference, for example, or to be part of a, a working group where there's a member of that, that group or that team who has been in cybersecurity since before we called it cybersecurity, <laughs> since back when we called it information assurance in the you know 80s and 90s, and they know everything, or seemingly they know everything, and it's so uh, daunting, as you mentioned, to just be in the room with those people and try to think, well, how can I contribute any value to this conversation, or am I going to be good enough to um, have the responsibility to secure the data of our customers? against any number of threats that might exist throughout the entire world. It's just, it's just so big. And so there've been many times throughout my career where I've kind of hit that wall um, for a moment and felt this, this kind of real insecurity of, oh gosh, uh, what have I got myself into here? And not wanting to let other people down. And it takes quite a bit of um, kind of mental preparedness to get a bit of a trigger that says, wait a minute, there's that thing again, you're following into this, this trap of, of insecurity. You're, you're, you're letting yourself go down this kind of uh, dark path um, and to sort of reorient and reposition yourself and recognize, no, I'm not here by chance. It's not luck that put me in this position. I do have these skills and capabilities. I am um, quite a productive member of the team and I am good at this, uh, at this job. That's why I'm here and I wanna to continue to get better. And it's a, it's a hurdle to get over. And for some people, it can really squash you and, and put you off your game for a long period of time. So uh, it's not a, a project-based or initiative-based achievement, um, but it is one of those ones that I have seen um, in myself and in others, if you aren't ready to approach that and ready to recognize it and uh, do something about it, it can, it can really squash your capability and damage you from a professional perspective and also from a personal perspective. So I'm, I'm pretty proud of getting to a point where I'm yeah. less likely to feel that in the first place um, and more likely to be able to respond in, I think, a healthy way. Yeah, definitely. I think that I think it's definitely come to light more. I think people are discussing stuff like imposter syndrome and resiliency at work a, a lot more, which is which is fantastic. And as you mentioned, kind of on that question about your biggest influence, it's, it's really important to have someone or friends or family who's a good sounding board to kind of you know pick you up and remind you you know you deserve the wet 
deserve to be where you are. You know, sometimes it's important, right? Um, one other question on this is, uh, I think our listeners would be dying to know what it's like, you know, a bit about your journey to becoming a CISO, but also mm-hmm. kind of what the challenges are like on a, on a day-to-day. Sure, sure. So I talked a little bit about kind of the career journey piece. Um, maybe I'll, I'll dive into a few more specifics there. So when I, I, I got my opportunity to get started, it was a, as a security risk analyst um, for the federal government here in the United States. Um, my role was to evaluate the security posture of um, government information systems, identify potential risks, and then work with stakeholders to address those risks. You can imagine as a, a brand new person, I didn't know what those words even meant, um, let alone how to do them and certainly not how to do them effectively. So initially, um, my role was to be a sponge, to absorb as much information as I could, to ask questions, to not be afraid to to maybe look stupid and just say the thing that no one else is saying. It's funny how often I found that other people had the same questions and maybe just weren't speaking up. And so that's what I did. I spent probably about 12 months um, basically ignoring any other part of my life almost other than this uh, this new profession that I was trying to get into. So I ate, drank, and slept things like NIST documentation, the special publications and FIPS. I think I practically memorized um, some of the more important ones, you know, FIPS 199, 200, uh, NIST 853. Those were like my Bibles and I, I just consumed them voraciously to try to bring up sort of the background knowledge, the vocabulary. You mentioned the, the acronyms earlier. Cybersecurity is just fraught with acronyms. And I, what I really love is when we use the same acronym for two different things, that's fun. Um, so initially it was just like, how do I learn this language that these people are speaking? and then embed myself into the process as best I could. So I started inviting myself to meetings, um, just kind of on background, sitting in the, in the back of the room, observing, taking a lot of notes, and then asking questions later. And what that allowed me to do was fairly rapidly move from a place where I literally knew nothing about this industry that I was in to a place where I was asking more incisive and insightful questions, things that gave people pause and really made them think like, wait, what is the real purpose and objective of what we're doing here? And then understanding the technical um, side of it as well so that I could understand how things fit together. So the immediate um, kind of initial part was all about gaining that that basic understanding and fundamentals. Then what I started to notice is I became fairly adept at conducting these assessments or audits um, and working with people. And I started being asked by others, can you help me sort of achieve some of these, um, some of that familiarity, the, the comfort in the room when you're talking to an IT director of some you know, classified system or something like that? How do, you, how do you get there? And I found myself doing a little bit of, of training and, and mentoring, which led into team management and team leadership roles. And that's an area where I feel pretty comfortable and I really find a lot of excitement. I do love the technical side of the job. But what really gets me energized is the ability to work with other people and help them achieve the best that they possibly can. So I moved into a lot of leadership type roles. Around the same time, the federal government decided, oh gosh, there's this cloud thing that everyone's talking about. Maybe we should uh, look into that as well. And uh, specifically started thinking, how do we do that in a secure fashion? And how do we assess these third-party cloud service providers and make sure that they're appropriate? And so I started working on a a small team uh, within Health and Human Services and sort of the broader government to develop a program for this assessment and authorization of of cloud for government use, which turned into a program called FedRAMP. 
um, which is still in place today. The, the core principle behind FedRAMP, the motto is do once, use many. It's this idea that if we can come up with a reasonable standard for assessment and authorization, that multiple different federal agencies can utilize that standard. And what we're not doing is repeating the same work over and over again. You might think of it as an exchange of, of risk information. What's interesting about that, and the reason I um, spent that much time explaining it is that when my wife and I um, made the decision that we wanted to relocate to the Rocky Mountains and that I wanted to pursue a career in the private sector, I learned about this company, CyberGRX. The GRX stands for Global Risk Exchange, and it is literally um, a version of the FedRAMP program, but for the private sector. And so I've been here now for the past uh, six years. I've been CISO for about three and a half of those years and, and absolutely love every second of it. So that's my, my journey to, to the current role that I'm in. Amazing, thank you so much, David. Really great to hear those key aspects of your career so far. Um, now let's take a look at the present day and what the future might hold. AI is all everyone seems to be talking about. What does the future hold for cybersecurity and the relationship with AI? Oh my gosh. Yeah, this is, <laughs> I have this, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's incredible the amount of attention um, that's being paid to it with good, with good reason. I have this sort of uh, mental model. If my mother is aware of something that's in my field, it's really reached like the, the, the public zeitgeist at that point. And so when she asks me a question about the security of AI, I really know, all right, this is out there. This is not some niche thing anymore. Um, so I think artificial intelligence is interesting. Conceptually, it's not that different from any other sort of rapid technological advancement that we've had in the past. Um, anytime these things have come up, some of the same conversations start to happen. So with the advent of cloud that I was just talking about and the real kind of movement towards cloud, these migrating from on-prem uh, to contractor hosted or, or cloud hosted um, data centers, there was a real fear um, that I think was sparked, particularly in the cybersecurity community. Like, wait a minute, we, I won't have control. I'm, I'm going to have to trust these other people to, to do the right thing. How can I do that? How do I, how do I present that risk to the board? And and get their approval for this. I know it's maybe a, a good financial decision, but are we introducing risk that's unnecessary? So there's that, I can see the good and the, and the, and the potential bad. Uh, another example of that may have been the movement towards um, BYOD, bring your own device, and allowing people to use personal devices or public computing devices to connect to and process company data. That sounds terrifying on the one hand, from a security perspective, but you can see from the business perspective how that opens the door to increase productivity, efficiency, flexibility, and workforce, that type of thing. So from that perspective, I think AI is not too dissimilar. Um, we can clearly see that there are plenty of positive aspects to the utilization of artificial intelligence. Um, it's a catalyst for productivity, uh, for example. I think you can provide exposure. Um, to multiple different data points and bring together salient insights in a way that's hard for the human mind to do, certainly at that kind of a speed. Um, so there's all these different things we can do to increase productivity, reduce cost, um, bring additional value to you know, stakeholders, uh, potentially gain competitive advantage, lots of positives. Conversely, there's potential risks. It is such a new technology and uh, we're learning so much about how it works right now as we're using it um, that certain things haven't been fully worked out. 
there's a lot of questions, for example, from a legal perspective about the ownership of the outputs of different AI technologies, particularly when we're talking about uh, those tools that produce audiovisual um, types of outputs. There's some lawsuits that are going on right now, and much the same as I think we saw with some of the more modern privacy regulations, the true implementation and impact of that isn't going to be known until the, the courts have a chance to work some of those details out for us. Um, so we're kind of in that spot right now, I think, in a lot of ways where some companies have taken a look at this and said, oh, gosh, we don't know necessarily enough about this, but we feel the risk is too great. And so our standpoint is we're just going to prohibit the utilization of these tools. Other companies have taken the exact opposite approach of we also don't know a whole lot about this. We're kind of going to pretend this problem doesn't exist for a little while and wait till things work themselves out. Um, here at CyberHRX, we're taking a more middle of the road um, type of approach where we're treating um, AI models and engines and uh, bots as another third party. Uh, for example, it's, it's another vendor that we are going to use for work purposes. Uh, we're going to share maybe access or data um, with that tool. And we need to analyze it from a security risk and from a legal risk perspective and before we decide to approve um, its utilization. So it's a fairly long-winded way of saying that um, there are amazing opportunities um, for AI from a, from a good positive perspective, and there are risks. We already have seen threat actors starting to use artificial intelligence to beef up their capabilities. Um, I, I believe, although I haven't seen a lot of evidence is happening yet, but you could understand logically how artificial intelligence gives uh, sort of a fledgling or would-be um, threat actor the ability to get in the game and start taking actions sooner than they otherwise would be able to. When ChatGPT first was released um, to the public, the very first thing that I put into it, and this probably says something about my mindset, um, was uh, write me a keylogger in Python. So basically a little piece of malware that will log your keystrokes so I can collect things like passwords or credentials um, in Python, which is a coding language. And it just did it. It was just there on the screen. It was perfectly um, legitimate piece of little software or a script that could be run to log keystrokes. Um, since then, obviously they've tightened up some of the controls on that kind of capability, but you can imagine with so many on-prem uh, versions of these AI bots, um, that that kind of capability is made its way into the hands of, of threat actors and will be used against us. I'm not a developer, I don't code. So the ability for someone like me, for example, with bad intent to get into the game and start producing um, different types of malicious software or, or attacks that otherwise they wouldn't have been able to is certainly concerning. At the same time, as yeah. cybersecurity professionals, we have the ability to combat that using AI. So there's, there's just pros and cons. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, it sounds like, I mean, do you feel it's one of the most exciting developments in the industry? I mean, it certainly felt so RSA, right? It was sort of one another one of those buzzwords, wasn't it? Absolutely. Uh, you you got to take the RSA buzz with a little bit of a grain <laughs> of salt, though. Um, certainly every marketing team on the planet is trying to figure yes. out how they're going to incorporate the words artificial intelligence into their yeah. messaging. Um, but there is good reason behind it. Um, it's definitely one of the most exciting developments, I think, uh, recently. Um, there's so much room for creativity. We don't, I think we haven't really fully conceptualized of what's possible um, yet. We just know that it's an accelerant. Um, it is something that gives us additional capability. And we're still figuring out the various ways we can use it. And the technology itself is changing. So even as we're starting to understand how we can use what we have available today, three weeks from now, there's going to be some new advancement that's going to 
then change that. So it's super exciting. It's uh, highly extensible. You can see how it applies to almost any cybersecurity domain or any industry outside of cybersecurity as well. Um, it's fun to see some of the some of the things that I've appreciated from a cyber perspective over the last few years related to AI are things like um, the increased popularity and utilization of things like anomaly detection. So instead mm -hmm. of in the past, we always look for signatures, like there's a signature of this particular piece of malware. And so if you can find that signature that exists, the same hash that exists somewhere within your um, environment, then you know you've got a, some sort of a risk that you need to take care of. And what I love is the introduction of machine learning that gives us the ability to say, well, I don't necessarily need to specifically look for signatures. I still want to do that. But in addition, I can just look for any sort of heuristic um, uh, events that are happening within my environment that seem anomalous and report on those. So I might be um, looking for a living off the land type of attack where there's no malicious software being used. It's using normal programs that normally run on my machine, but it's doing so in a malicious way, I can, I can identify and address those types of attacks now as a, as a part of uh, the development of AI. So absolutely, it deserves the hype. Um, I just worry sometimes that we're using terms in ways that aren't necessarily accurate just to, yeah. <laughs> just to attract potential buyers. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, it definitely felt like the year before it was XDR and this year it's AI. I wonder what will be next year. Absolutely. But I mean, you kind of touched on, on this a bit, but, you know, what kind of advice would you have for, for CXOs on, on how, you know, people can select technology when there are so many vendors out there, right? So many claiming to offer the brightest and boldest, most exciting technology. And there's also budget pressure, right? You know, what kind of advice would you give to, to CXOs, right? Yeah, it's similar advice that I give on, on almost all kinds of like big decision-making within cybersecurity. You've got to start with a clear understanding of your organization's business strategy and goals. Um, and then understand the risk in light of, of that business strategy and goals. So you know, I always think about looking at what are your assets? That could be data, systems, people, facilities, all those things. What are your critical assets? Um, what is threatening um, to those assets, either internal, external threats? What sort of techniques might be used by those threats to compromise those assets in some sort of way? And then based on an understanding of your internal capabilities, what vulnerabilities or weaknesses do you have that might allow those threats to be successful? Once you have that picture um, in alignment with your overall business strategy, you should be able to develop some security um, priorities. Um, and if you can keep that in line with your requirements, so things like budget, um, you should know where you can start. No organization, maybe with the exception of a few, have sort of an infinite cybersecurity budget. So there's things you might want to do that you're just not going to be able to do, but there are certainly things that are more important. And that alignment of risk um, a true understanding of risk and a true understanding of the business strategy, I think, is where you need to start. Once you know that, it's very important to clearly set expectations with the executive. So talking to the, to the board, for example, or the rest of your executive team, you got to communicate to them in business language the pros and cons. We have this much budget, this much headcount. Here's the, the highest level risks. Here's the top 10. We're going to be able to tackle these top four right now and clearly, clearly communicate that. Choosing to do these top four means we're also choosing not to do these bottom six. They're all important, but these are the most important. Make sure you get that buy-in and consensus before you go out and select a particular tool. And then avoid some pitfalls. Um, 
that chasing shiny objects thing which it yeah. gets me every time i'm at rsa i'm like oh wow look at that an f1 car that's cool and i'm like whoa wait a minute what am i doing i'm just standing in front of this booth all of a sudden getting my badge scanned and i was drawn in by just the the glossiness of it all um chasing those shiny objects i think uh, marketing teams are fantastic but um, they can spin up a lot of um a lot of hype um, and some FOMO and make you feel like you're missing out when a lot of organizations still don't have the fundamentals properly in place. Now to tell you those fundamentals produce more value at lower cost than any of the kind of cutting edge technologies. I think early adopters are often chasing diminishing returns. And that's great if you already have a really mature program and that's the level you're working at. You're trying to eke out that last 5% of, of capability or effectiveness, but if you're an organization that can't really look yourself in the mirror and be honest and say, I've got these fundamentals um, in place already, it's kind of wasteful to be chasing after the newest, latest and greatest thing. So yeah, understanding what you're trying to do, what your organization's trying to do, what the risks are, what your requirements are, and making sure those are aligned and clearly communicated. And then being careful not to chase the shiny objects until you've made sure you've got the fundamentals in place. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, really great insight there. Um, and, and on to our key topic that matters now. Uh, you are an advocate for training and mentoring in the cybersecurity industry. Why is that? You know, what do you and what do you perceive as the most significant talent-related challenges currently faced by the security industry? And how do you think they can be overcome? It's a huge one. Um, I love this question. So, I think the cybersecurity in industry, like many others, uh, is is worried about talent. Um, there is clearly a talent shortage. I was looking up, there's a, a website that's a public-private partnership here in the US um, called cyberseek.org. And they've got some interesting stats. I looked this morning um, in anticipation of this question. Currently in the United States, there are 755,000 open um, cybersecurity jobs. What's interesting about that is there's 1.1 million cybersecurity people currently employed. So we need almost as many new uh, cybersecurity professionals as we already have. Um, and I think uh, there's a lot of different ways that we can approach this problem. All kinds of organizations, nonprofits and others are devoted to trying to solve this, but I'll just focus on one that I feel pretty passionately about. And that is um, spending more time and effort and money um, uh, creating and nurturing that cybersecurity talent. So many organizations will fall into this trap where they'll put out a, you know, we've got a, a security analyst level one kind of entry level position and if you look at the job requirements, it'll say something ridiculous, like requires three years of experience or you know, has all these certifications, um, familiarity with a bunch of just like niche uh, security tools. Now, how in the world is an entry-level person going to have that? I don't understand. It's a catch-22, and it's far too common. In fact, it's become quite the, the common meme on LinkedIn for people to post links to these like ridiculous yeah. job notifications. So what I think we should do is really focus on um, creating and being willing to support true entry-level job opportunities. Um, apprentice, um, apprenticeship programs are another way to do this. There's a great organization I'm familiar with called CyberUp, who helps organizations connect with existing apprenticeship programs that are usually paid for by some other industry. So you're not even necessarily putting out the financial costs um, uh, to, to bring these people in. But what I've learned and experienced in my own personal life is there are a plethora of individuals out there with a desire and a capability um, to get into the cybersecurity space, but they what they don't have is the chance. Um, they haven't yeah. been given that opportunity, that foot in the door. And we present them with that catch-22 more often than not. 
we last year decided to backfill a more senior um, analyst position with two entry level positions. And we were really thoughtful, um, I think, about how we designed um, those job uh, requirements and, and notices that went out to the public. And within 48 hours, we had over 600 applicants uh, for these two positions. We had to actually just pause um, because there's no way we're gonna be able to even do justice to those, those 600 or so. Um, but it really was an example to me of how many people are hungry for a change and need that chance. We did have to spend um, a pretty significant amount of time developing a, a mentorship and training curriculum uh, for the uh, two entry-level folks that we brought on. But within six months, because we spent that time and effort, we took these absolutely entry-level folks with no prior cybersecurity experience, um, but a passion um, and a desire to learn and a capability and turned them into highly productive um, security analysts. And the biggest, uh, you know, concern I think a lot of organizations will start to have with that is, wait a minute, you just boosted their resume <laughs> to the top. Now you're worrying about losing them. I think that's when you start talking about what does your retention program look like? What opportunities do you yeah. have to continue to offer them advancement and growth and, and remain attractive? But um, long story short, I just think that one of the most available and effective ways that we have to address uh, the talent shortage is by creating and nurturing the talent ourselves rather than waiting for someone else to do it. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, it's a great example as well. It feels like the security industry has got quite a long way to go in terms of kind of maybe being a bit more flexible with the sort of people they bring on and, you know, different backgrounds and different kind of educations contribute to, you know, lots of different um, different areas of thought, right? And different kind of um, contributions to discussions. So, you know, definitely um just quickly um I, I know you spoke pretty passionately about mentoring in the past tell me a bit about that and, and what you enjoy so much about it sure i i love the the feeling that i have the opportunity to give back to real people um so many of us work for you know for-profit organizations and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that um but sometimes you can get that feeling, oh man, I, I'm helping a company make more money for the company's shareholders. What impact am I actually having on real people, real individuals? It was one of the things that drew me to the mission of the Indian Health Service that you mentioned earlier that I worked for. Like I'm having a direct impact on people's lives and mentoring can give you that, uh, that opportunity. So what I, I love doing is sitting down with someone really asking them a lot of probing questions to fully understand what are their objectives, what are their goals for their own career, uh, where do they want to go, and then finding ways that I can either use my own experience or connect them to people who do have relevant experience um, to give them the best possible chance to achieve those goals. And conversely, to avoid the mistakes that I've made in the past. You know, I've, I've fallen into a few traps my, of myself, and if I can help someone else avoid those and kind of see them in advance, um, that's always a great feeling. So to me, the, the, the biggest part of it is just that ability to connect with another human in this highly digitized and remote and virtual world that we're living in right now, and, and hopefully see that my influence or my input has helped them um, in a material way is, is what's most enjoyable. Amazing. Thank you, David. Um, and just kind of to move on to the topic of diversity, um, how have things improved during your career and what more can be done to improve diversity within the cybersecurity industry? 
Yep. So I, I think this is somewhat anecdotal, um, but I think I can say that uh, diversity has improved in the time that I've been in the cybersecurity field. When I when I got into this, it was, I mean, basically 100% white straight males, a lot of them with military backgrounds. And that was it. That was your demographic um, for, uh, for cybersecurity. It is better now, but I feel like we have such a very long way to go. Um, we are not, for one, as I mentioned before, making cybersecurity a, an approachable um, field that people feel like they have any capability to really get into in the first place. We're not talking to young people about cybersecurity as an industry um, in a way that makes it feel attractive or attainable. Even the way that Hollywood <laughs> um, represents uh, cybersecurity is just throwing people off completely, making them think that we're like moving little graphical blocks around on a screen or something like that. It's, it's not, um, that's not very helpful for our goals. Um, and I think we've also chosen traditional ways to kind of go to market, if you will, um, about cybersecurity um, positions and job openings. So we go to you know job fairs at some local college or, or something like that. Um, what we're not doing is deciding that diversity is a key goal and a particular value that we want to actively go after. And instead of passively hoping that somehow we're gonna attract a more diverse workforce, go more actively and proactively find that um, diverse workforce. Um, so I, I think that's how we can improve is find more ways where we can identify the opportunities to gain the diversity that we want to have and we believe is important to have and take action specifically to go, um, go find that. So how do we work with historically black colleges, for example, um, to get in with uh, their job fairs in particular and, and go and speak directly to people that represent a demographic that, that we wanna see more of in this industry. And the other piece of it, I think too, is we need to talk more openly about the value that diversity provides to our industry. Having opposing viewpoints or differing backgrounds and opinions helps to ensure that we're actually seeing the world for in a more accurate way. And that I think that includes when we're talking about cybersecurity risks, the way that we develop software and how it's used by people. If it is only a very small and very tight demographic of people who are making all the choices about how um, we analyze and, and, and communicate risk, how we develop solutions to help us find those things, um, then I think what we're, we're excluding um, a lot of viewpoints and a lot of potential value that we need to bring in. So <clears throat> I just think that we have to be proactive. We have to be very vocal um, about the value. Um, and we have to, once we have uh, people who represent different, uh, different groups and, and backgrounds, we have to give them plenty of opportunity and give them the ability to own their positions and continue to advance in the organization and see that um, a growth pattern um, over time. So you're even seeing different types of uh, regulatory changes here in Colorado a while back they introduced some legislation that requires you know any job postings uh, internally or externally to in to one be actually posted to everyone so I can't just pick and choose like well I'm going to keep promoting Jeff and no one else is going to have an opportunity to get those roles that we have Jeff's just going to be my guy I'm going to keep promoting him up sorry Jeff's out there who are listening um <laughs> Instead, I have to at least announce that to the organization, say, hey, look, there's this role that's coming open. 
if you're interested, let's talk about it. Um, in addition, we have to start putting in um, salary um, information into those uh, roles. So people understand what the heck it is that they're getting into, and we can have that openness and awareness and transparency. So combination of being more proactive and in some cases, right-sizing legislation or, or regulation to help us, um, I don't want to say force, but maybe compel is a more appropriate word, organizations to, to have better practices in place. Yeah, fantastic. That's some really great insights there. Um, I'm sure our listeners would love to learn a bit more about you outside of work. Uh, we know that you're a keen musician, you love being outside, but I'm sure they'd love to know what your perfect weekend would be. Oh my gosh, perfect weekend. Okay, so first thing that came to mind for me, um, I love backpacking, so wilderness backpacking. Um, and I think a perfect weekend for me would be to have someone drop me off um, on the side of the road in uh, rural Montana. There's a place called the Absaroka Beartooth Mountain Wilderness. And I've done some backpacking trips there before. It's absolutely gorgeous territory. Very quickly, you can go off trail above tree line. You've got these vistas of high Rocky Mountains and Alpine lakes and brushy scrub and um, open fields and just wander um, through what I call kind of a, a natural playground finding a good spot to set up camp, you know, finding a rock by a lake and laying out in the sun and reading a book for a little while and just taking in the sights and sounds. That's, that's a perfect weekend for me, completely unplugged and out there in the wilderness. Oh, sounds absolutely beautiful. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> um, now um, onto the quick fire round. Um, no clues here. You'll have to think on your feet. So I think we might know the answer to the first one, but mountains or beaches? Oh, mountains, but it's interesting. I recently, I haven't been much of a beach person, but I recently spent uh, about a week and a half in Jamaica. Absolutely loved it. So beaches oh, are cool. kind of climbing up, but still mountains yeah. for me ultimately. <laughs> RSA or black cat? Oh gosh, black cat. Um, mm -hmm. They're both fairly commercial, but RSA feels like a feeding frenzy, particularly if you're a CISO and someone finds out <laughs> that you've got any sort of budgetary decision-making um, ability. Black Cat is a little bit more for the nerds and it feels like you can sink your teeth into some of the subject matter without being uh, sold all the time. <laughs> um, people or animals? Oh no. My <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh, the first image that came into my head was my dog at home right now, probably wondering where I am. Um, I mean, I guess <sighs> I gotta go with, with people, but I have such a soft spot in my heart for, for animals. That's a really tough one, how dare you? <laughs> um christmas or your birthday christmas oh man you should see our house like our garage vomits christmas decorations all over the neighborhood um usually uh. right around the end of thanksgiving holiday here in the states um and i love it it's just been like one of those magical holidays for my family and i since uh, since i was a little kid oh, love that um crunchy peanut butter or smooth peanut butter i'm gonna make enemies but crunchy I love the texture. I love peanut butter in general, but I just love that. Us both as well. Yeah. Okay. We're all perfect. crunchy awesome. here. Great. <laughs> Team crunch. <laughs> and then robots or dinosaurs? Oh, geez. That's an interesting one. My five-year-old self would have said dinosaurs in a heartbeat, but I think uh, where I currently am, robots. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on Team Robot here. Watch sports or play sports? <laughs> 
this has also changed as I've gotten older. Uh, it would have absolutely been play sports, but now I know that I risk a significant injury. So I've become quite a fan of watching sports um, more often than I want to participate in them, <laughs> mostly from just self-preservation. Nice. Um, and reading the book or seeing the movie? Gotta say reading the book. I, I think mm -hmm. both are amazing and I, and I love to take in both mediums, but there's just something about allowing your mind, that moment when you start to read and then the first like 10 seconds you forget that you're reading and then it's just a moving picture in your, in your own mind. I, I love that feeling and I can escape into a book anytime. Love that. And passion or stability? Oh man, this is also a very tough one. I'm, we're talking like, you know, uh, a, a percentage or two difference here, but I would give a slight nod just personally to stability. I'm a I'm pretty fairly risk averse and organization focused type of a person. I love a passionate individual, but the potential for volatility um, scares me a little bit. So I, I would say stability. Nice. And guitar or microphone? We don't know if you can sing. Can you sing? Oh my gosh. Well, we know um, you can play guitar. You for not me to try. <laughs> I most definitely would like to, to, to be behind the guitar. I'm not the one who wants nice. the spotlight shined on them. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for those. Um, and one last question will always be the same. And that's one what's one piece of advice you'd give someone entering the industry? I'd say understand that there are so many different ways you can go within cybersecurity. There's a million different paths for your career. There are niche opportunities, there's generalists, there's people who manage cybersecurity teams. It doesn't really matter what your kind of personality bias is to one type of role or another, that opportunity does exist within cybersecurity. So um, don't be put off by maybe some of the more common roles that you hear about. If you're, you're feeling like none of this really speaks to me, I'm, I feel strongly that the right role is out there for just about anyone in the cybersecurity space. So keep hunting for that and looking for examples of it and, uh, and just follow your passion. Great. Thank you so much for your time, David. Me and Harry loved having you on the podcast. Um, great to hear all your thoughts and insights and a real pleasure to have you on the show. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and give us a rating. It really helps these stories to be found and enjoyed by more people. For more information about NUCO, we can be found at www.nuco-group.com. That's N-E-U-C-O-group.com. -E